Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being able to sense your presence today, to be able to communicate and fellowship with you by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you promised us that when two or three were gathered in your name, that you would be in the midst. We, we take that, Lord Jesus, as a promise. And today we have certainly experienced that and continue to. And as we are still in the, in the presence of the Most High God, we pray that you would teach us today. You would instruct us. You would encourage us today. And you would let your word come alive. I pray that you'd fill my mouth with the word of God and that you would enable me to speak the words that would bring life to us. And I thank you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. I just want to go ahead and warn you that um, we're going to go a little longer than we normally do today. So if you got a roast in the oven, I'm sorry. We're going to finish up today talking about laughter and joy. So I wanted to start off that way. A young man fresh out of college went to see his doctor one day. Doc, there's something wrong with me. Every time I stand in a baby's high chair and face southwest and then touch my tongue to a piece of aluminum foil that's wrapped around an acorn, I get a strange tingle in my big toe. Can you tell me what the problem is? And the doctor says, I sure can. You have way too much time on your hands. <laughs> and this is similar. Two factory workers were talking, and one of them said, I know how to get some time off from work. He said, how, how are you going to do that? He said, he said, showed him his method. He climbed up to the rafters, and he was hanging upside down. Boss walked in and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm a light bulb. He said, well, I think you need some time off. So the worker jumped down, walked out of the factory. The other worker started walking out too. And the boss said, hey, where do you think you're going? He said, I can't work in the dark. <laughs> a noted psychiatrist was a guest at a gathering of humor editors. And his host naturally broached the subject in which the doctor was, all, was most at ease. Would you mind telling me, doctor, he said, how do you detect a mental deficiency in somebody who appears completely normal? Nothing is easier, he replied. You ask him a simple question, which everyone should answer with no trouble. If he hesitates, that puts you on the track. What sort of a question? Well, you might ask him, Captain Cook made three trips around the world and, and died during one of them. Which one? The editor thought a moment, then said with a nervous laugh, you wouldn't happen to have another example, would you? I must confess, I don't know much about history. <laughs> and then the last one, which I've told varying versions of this over the years, 200 from, it says Minnesota, you could be from anywhere. Got a pilot to fly them to Tennessee to hunt does in Unit L. You hunters might know where that is. They bagged six. As they started loading the plane for the return trip, the pilot said the plane could t only take four deer. The two objected strongly. I la last year we shot six, and the pilot let us put them all on board. He had the same plane as yours. Reluctantly, the pilot gave in, and all six deer were loaded. However, even on full power, the little plane couldn't handle the load. He went down a few minutes after takeoff, and climbing out of the wreck, one of the guys asked the other, How, any idea where we are? 
I think we're about a mile further than where we crashed last year. <laughs> yes. Kingdom of God on display. The solutions to the ills of people's lives can only be found in the good news of the kingdom of God. And if we want to affect our surroundings, we will do so by communicating the qualities of God's kingdom where we live. Everybody say, where we live. Second Chronicles 7.14 is often quoted. I'll tell you this morning that if my people, in quotations, is a call to the church to take ownership for change. It's on us. He didn't say if the people. He said if my people. And, of course, we did a sermon on that last fall, what God wants from his church. And uh, you can be turning, if you'd like, to Romans 14. I want to set the context for this message and probably the next several over the next weeks. And the context is this, that I'm watching and I'm hearing people who, in some cases, are completely depressed and ready to jump off of a tall building because of the recent election. I'm hearing other people who think the kingdom has come because of the election. And I want to tell you that neither is true. And that in one reason, I'm glad that the election turned out the way it did so that we as Christians in America would stop putting our trust in a man. Any man. And get back to the business of the kingdom of God. For the ills in our culture can only, everybody say only, only, only be cured by the gospel of the kingdom of God. I'll mention that some more as we go through, but Romans chapter 14, uh, let me just set this up for you. Paul is writing to Rome, and he, you know, he says, if you've got a weak person, uh, don't eat meat if it bothers them. Uh, one person esteems one day is better than another. Uh, and he goes through this thing, verse 7, none of us lives to himself. We live for the Lord. And then he gets into verse 13. Therefore, let's stand, if you wouldn't mind, while we read God's word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Key verse, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Your NIV there will say it does not consist of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You can be seated. 
The condition of the world that we live in has always necessitated the advent of, a, of an alternate, higher source of life and values. It's all, our world has always needed something from above. And we've sought it in ourselves, we've sought it in people, we've sought it in a political system, we've sought it in numerous places. But it's always needed something from a higher source. There's always been a vacuum which only the values of God and his kingdom could fill. Anytime there is a vacuum the danger is that godless leadership fills the vacuum. If you read your history books, you'll find out this is how Adolf Hitler became the chancellor of Germany because there was a vacuum of leadership, and he said, I'll take it. I'll step in. Jesus himself was born into political and governmental darkness. He was born into an age when, when everything was dark, it was vile. It was corrupt. I mean, you had the king of the day who killed the, the children. You had the king of the day who killed his own wife because he thought she might be capable of having an affair on him. He killed his sons because he was afraid they would try to take his throne. This is the kind of government Jesus was born into. The kingdom of darkness can be marked by brokenness, despair, Disrepair, hopelessness, endless gratification of the flesh, emptiness. The kingdom of darkness is marked by broken relationships, which are is misalignment. Those are who are living in the kingdom of darkness are overcome with incompleteness. There's something missing. They can't feel complete. As a human being, they're, they're experiencing misery and lack of fulfillment and satisfaction. That's the kingdom of darkness. Let me tell you, there's no political party can, can cure that. There's no president of the United States. They can't even the Congress and the Senate. The House of Representatives and the Senate can't even cure that. It's only Jesus Christ through the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we got to be reminded of that. In the midst of all of this Darkness that Jesus was born into enter another kingdom. It, we see another kingdom come into place, and Jesus said, it's here because I'm here. Mark records that Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom is at hand. He's saying to the, to the listeners, I'm here. I have brought the kingdom of God with me, and it is near you. It is accessible, and it's a new kingdom that is the antithesis of what I just described. It's a new kingdom that is a kingdom marked by love. It's a new kingdom that is governed by a benevolent king and not a cruel king. The list goes on. And Jesus brings the advent of, of the kingdom of God on the earth. Now, let me hasten to add, we all recognize that the complete, final consummation of the kingdom of God is yet to come. But as, as Don read this morning, I'm looking for the goodness of God in the land of the living. 
And Jesus said, your kingdom come on earth. That's where we live, just like it is in heaven. So there is, in, in a measure, there is an experience that we have of the kingdom of God on the earth now. Of what does this kingdom consist? We just read it, but when we want to talk about what is the kingdom of God, what does it consist of? Now, over the next several weeks, I can't tell you how many, we're going to, we're going to keep pounding this. So if you don't like this message, you're not going to like next week's either. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of verses in the scripture that say the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of God can be compared to. And we're going to look at those so we can have an idea of what, what it is we're supposed to be bringing out there into the world. Of course, the answer is righteousness, peace, and joy. Let's read that together. Righteousness, peace, and joy. You'll wake up in a minute. But all of these, I believe this verse teaches us that all of these are empowered by the Holy Spirit. All of these come by the work of the Holy Spirit. Warren Wearsby on common and uh, on his commentary on this verse said, not the externals, but the eternals must be first in our lives. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And that's what he, Paul is telling the church of Rome. You're dealing too much in the externals, food and all this stuff. You need to give attention to the, e- to the eternals. Righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm going to try to go through these, these three uh Aspects, characteristics of God's kingdom. What does it consist of? What does it look like? Well, the very first one is righteousness. We've been singing about that today. Righteousness. The world needed and still needs righteousness. Still needs righteousness in the world. Righteousness is the state of him who is as he ought to be. A condition that's acceptable to God. Now, don't start feeling bad because we got some good news for you. Righteousness is, in many ways, right standing or having a right relationship. Uh, it's, it's a right alignment. It's being aligned with God and being aligned with his people. By the way, you, you've heard, maybe I've heard, heard me say this. The word integrity comes from being able to integrate. And by that I mean that we as human beings are able to integrate with God. If you could think of a, of a wheel and the spokes integrating properly. And when our life is in such a place that we can integrate with God, we then have integrity. And we live in integrity. Righteousness is part of that. Right alignment is part of that. When you get out of alignment, you got problems. Uh, if you want to just turn one book over to 1 Corinthians 6, or two taps over on your tablet or phone. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is basically saying to the church of Corinth, you're doing all this stuff. You're bringing lawsuits among one another or against one another, and you're bringing those lawsuits in front of people who don't even know God. What in the world? And then he starts in verse 9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous, note the footnote there says wrongdoers, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. Lord, I, I look at that list. I'm going, hmm. What's the next one? And such were some of you. Don't you like that word, were? Don't you like the fact that it's past tense? Such were some of you. It says, but you were washed. Everybody feel clean? You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. What is he saying to this church? He's saying, you're trying to act like the world. You're acting like the world. You're the church. You're the church of Jesus Christ, but you're acting like the world. And this is what the world looks like. You don't need to act like that. You were washed. You were clean. They were not acting like God's children according to God's direction. They were violators of God's prescribed way of living. And by the way, that's lifestyle that he's describing. They were in misalignment with God. And they were seeking all of those sins that I just read. They are seeking some form of fulfillment that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Charlie talked about being sober. Many times people get into those places because they're looking for something. Either looking for something or trying to anesthetize something. Only relationship with Jesus Christ can bring that kind of fulfillment. These people were seeking uh, that kind of fulfillment. But again, I repeat, some such were some of you, but you were washed. So you're not unrighteous. You're not wrongdoers. I mean, you may do wrong things from time to time, but you are righteous. I'm going to prove it in a minute. But you are the righteousness of God. And the world needs people who are walking and understanding where they stand with God. Are you in right standing with God or are you not? And I'm telling you that you are not because you've been a good little boy or a good little girl, but you're in right standing with God because Jesus put you there. Lord, help me. There's the matter of imputed righteousness, a word we don't use much, but it just means that someone has taken uh, and put into your account. They've taken righteousness and they have credited it to your account, and now it's yours. Imputed righteousness. So upon our acceptance of the covenant that we make with God when we're born again, through the salvation that's provided to us by Jesus Christ, our Savior, We are imputed God's righteousness. You say, well, I don't feel very righteous. We'll get to that. But if you have been born from above by the Spirit of God, if you've been born again, and if the, as I've said, if the breath of God is in your body and the DNA of God is flowing in the fabric of your being, you have been made righteous by the work of God.
Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians when he says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Or you could say become sin for us. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. But yet he became sin or he made him to be sin. And I like to point out that he didn't just take our sins, although he did. He didn't just take our sins. He became sin. He became the very embodiment of sin when he was hanging on the cross. My personal belief is that when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment that all of the sin of mankind, both prior and future, was placed upon the Son of God. So that we, watch this, might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a guy that used to travel with Kenneth Hagin. His name is, uh, oh, David. What's David? What's that boy's name? Anybody remember the singer with Kenneth Hagin? He used to sing a song. I've got the record at the house. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's a great song. Of course, this obviously comes from the scripture. What's that? David Ingalls. But the first lady knows. Tell you, she don't know music. David Ingalls. But anyway, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Why is that important to understand? It's because the devil will tell you that you're not. The devil will tell you that you're disqualified. But Jesus made you the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus walked up to you. You had a dirty, nasty, soiled coat on. Jesus took his white robes of righteousness off. He, and you took yours off. He took yours and put it on, and he put his on you. And now he took your sinful, stained coat to the cross. And he paid the price for your sin. And you stand today righteous before God. Why? Because you've been such a good boy or girl? No, because God credited Jesus' righteousness to your account. And nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing. can change that. When God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, he did not use disappearing ink. It's still there. Paul says, "Be found to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. In other words, it comes from doing it myself, earning it. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I hope you're I hope you're getting this. Because now we're going to move to the second kind of righteousness and that's the tr- the kind that we're trained or training in righteousness. There is the imputed righteousness that never changes. There is a training in righteousness and that is how do we walk with God every day? Because while you have been made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, if you don't walk in some measure of righteousness with God, you're going to find a less than life. You're going to have less than what God has planned for you. Timothy gives us, and we we know the scripture, all scripture, is inspired or exhaled by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Watch the last line. For training in righteousness. The scripture is profitable through the work of the Holy Spirit, is profitable for training us and how to walk in righteousness. In other words, how to be good little boys 
and good little girls. It's important. You, you know, this, this business that I'm saved and I can do anything I want to do, live like the devil, go out there and do what I want to because I'm, I'm the righteous of God in Jesus Christ. Well, I got a lot of comments on that. I'll just leave them all alone, except to say it's unbiblical. Training. And the, the word there in the text is really the same word as train up a child. It's the same word as training a child, discipling them, showing them the way. The important part there is that we learn training in right relationships. Training in right relationships. Most of the time when we're getting out of whack with the righteousness of God or being trained in righteousness, it's because we've let, we've let our relationships go, go away. He said uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, we're to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm not going to turn to the verses, but in uh, Matthew 5.10, it talk, teaches us to hunger for a truly Christian lifestyle. If you're taking notes, you can just write those down. By the way, if you really want to take notes, you just take a picture of the screen <laughs> with your phone. <laughs> uh, Matthew 5.20, he teaches that we need to seek a righteousness that causes us to change from the inside out. Matthew 6, 1, righteousness that we would no longer seek the praise of men. And, of course, Matthew six thirty three would cause us to seek God's approval above everything else, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added. So there, the part of the kingdom of God and what makes up the kingdom of God is righteousness, we need to understand that we have been imputed righteousness and we need to understand that we are continually being trained in righteousness. And we need to bring that out there. Where you work, where you play, whatever, whatever activities that you're involved in out in the culture, you need to bring these, these qualities with you. The next one, of course, is peace. I grew up in the 70s. We always walked around peace, man. Peace is not really entirely the absence of conflict. Peace, in this case, is to join or bind together what has been separated. Join or bind together what has been separated. It, there is an absence of conflict issue, but it's even bigger than that. It's what's been, what's been separated. This is uh, the word in the Greek is very, very similar and parallel to the word shalom in the Old Testament, which we've heard many times. The word in the New Testament is Irene. And they wrote a song about her. Good night, Irene. No, I'm just kidding. This is actually spelled E-I-R-E. E-N-E. And it means like shalom, it means to be complete, to be full. It means wholeness, soundness. It means welfare. When God says he gives you peace, he's given you all those things, wholeness, completeness, and welfare. Shalom and Irene is the, wool, is the wholeness that the entire human race seeks. When people are out doing the things they do and, and imbibing in the things they're imbibing in, they're looking for something. Somebody said, we, we all, you know, William Bob Dylan said, you got to worship somebody. 
might be the devil, it might be God, but you're going to worship somebody because we're looking for something. And the wholeness that comes from being at peace with God is what people are looking for. Except there, as Johnny Lee said, we're doing all country music today, aren't we? As Johnny Lee said, everybody's looking in all the wrong places. Or as Buckwheat said, looking for nub in all the wrong places. Oh, anyway, that's another. <clears throat> Saturday Night Live, I'm sorry. People are looking for this stuff and even though they don't know it. Many people seek peace through avenues that produce just the opposite. Try and try. Let me tell you, I told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again because we leak. You cannot, everybody say cannot. You cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. Doesn't matter. You can, you can, it doesn't matter. You can take, take whatever that may be to you. It might, it might be a Big Mac. I don't know. But whatever that is, you cannot take in and try to satisfy your flesh enough that one day your, your flesh says, okay, buddy, I'm done. That's enough. Never happens. Your lust of your flesh always says more, more. I need more. There's no place. But when in the spirit of God, there is a place when you can say, I'm at peace with God. Don't need any more. Another way of looking at peace is that's set in the right place. Think of a dislocated bone, the dislocated arm or whatever. I remember uh, when we lived in Louisiana, some of us guys back when we were young enough to do it um, would go down to the local gym and play basketball once a week and Johnny and Carl aren't here today, but Johnny's daddy was one of us. We'd go down there all the time and play basketball. And I remember reaching out to intercept a pass. Uh, I was young enough to do this back then, by the way. I, re- I reached out to intercept a pass, and the ball hit me right on the end of my pinky on my right hand. That one right there. And it was about, by the time I got to the side of the court, the, from the joint in the middle of my finger forward was pointing to the ceiling. And it was about four times the size. Well, long story short, I went to hospital, went to the emergency room, just so happened to be a sports medicine doctor who just so happened had played linebacker for LSU. I was in good hands. And he eventually put two shots in there, popped that thing open. You know, the tendons were holding it. And I watched it immediately, the swelling start to go down. I mean, within seconds... Now, it took me a while. He told me I couldn't play tennis for four weeks, which about killed me. Because, as a matter of fact, he and I played doubles against his wife in, in a league. That was another story. But getting that back into joint, immediately there was relief. Somebody needed to hear that. Peace is somewhat, in some ways, having it all together. And I got this quote. I never could find anybody to to credit this quote, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Everything is in place and as it ought to be. Peace. When things are disjointed, there's a lack of harmony and well-being. When they're joined together, there's both. So sometimes we're dealing with peace in our relationships. We need to deal with peace at home, peace in the workplace, peace in the church family. I don't, I don't know if I'm 
brave enough to say this, but I thank God that in this church family, we don't deal with a lot of yang yang. We don't deal with a lot of, a lot of that nonsense that I hear from other situations. Please don't start now. <laughs> uh, knock on somebody's head. Of course, one of the reasons for that is if I hear of that, I'm calling you. And you go into the Waffle House. Somebody said, what does that mean? It's called the Waffle House Ministry. When I first became the pastor here, almost 20 years ago now, the Waffle House was about all we had in Mount Juliet. I think Cracker Barrel might have been there. So I would tell people that were having issues, go down to the Waffle House, get in one of those booths on the side, sit down and look at one another in the eyeball, and don't leave until it's right. Don't get up and leave until you made things right. And it happened a lot. Don't leave mad. Don't you leave you don't leave until it's right. That's peace. He said, what am I going to do? How am I supposed to do that? They're, they're mean. Watch this. If possible. Everybody say if possible. possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Man, there's a lot there. First of all, it's not always possible. Or he wouldn't have said if possible. Sometimes it depends on someone else. And you can't do anything about someone else. But he says, as far as it depends on you, you be at peace with, or words, be in right relationship, not just absence of common. You be in a right alignment with the people around you, because one of the things that said, whoever this quote came from, said, when things are disjointed, there's lack of harmony, but there's also some swelling and some pain. And the, the, the reestablishing of the alignment cures, begins to cure. We must seek to bring lost souls back into harmony with their maker, which will in turn result in well-being for their spirit, soul, and body. I hope we understand That the darkness in this world, now listen to me carefully. Please don't misquote me on Facebook. I want us to understand that the darkness in this world did not start on January the 20th. You hear me? The, the darkness in this world did not stop on January the 20th. But the darkness in this world comes from our enemy. And if we can get our, our focus off of our ranting and raving and kicking and screaming and all of these crazy conspiracy theories, Lord, help us. What, is, what have we done? If we can get our minds off of all of that and get them back, what are we supposed to do as God's people? Go and make disciples. I interrupted for a commercial there, so now I'm back to the main. The third part of this is joy. Now, Joy Steves, I'm sorry if I'm going to talk about you for a little while. I hope you don't get, take it personal. Joy. 
Joy does not consist in making ourselves happy. Christian joy or the joy of a Christian is not individual or an individual, but it's interdependent. You can't have joy without being interdependent upon God and God's people. Joy is the depth of assurance and confidence that will ignite a cheerful heart in us. Joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances, but it's God's gift to believers. We often define joy as the emotion evoked by well-being or success or good fortune or the emotion that comes from the prospect of possessing what one desires. It's not joy. The world's definition of joy is therefore virtually synonymous with the definition of happiness. For both of these emotions are dependent on what happens. Charles Spurgeon said the problem with that is you're depending on hap. You're depending on something to happen. Happiness depends on something happening. Joy does not. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm going to give you two quotes from him. The world has never seen anyone who knew joy as our Lord knew it. Think about that. No one knew joy like Jesus Christ, yet he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So your circumstances cannot determine your joy. You have the ability to not let the devil rob your joy. Martin Lloyd-Jones also said there's only one thing that can give true joy. And that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the worship, as Deb talked about, the praise, the honor of Jesus Christ will bring you joy. When you think about the fact that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, it brings you joy. When you think about the fact that available to us is a peace, as, as Don prayed today, there is a peace beyond our understanding. There's a peace that we cannot comprehend and yet we can have in our lives. And it's a mark of the kingdom of God. We can have that, and it gives us joy. Now, recently I, I watched a video of Brother Charles Simpson preaching a message. Maybe he'll preach it when he comes here sometime, entitled The, the Power of Joy and Laughter. And I'm going to use some notes from his and some from mine. But I want to tell you that the expression of our joy is found in laughter. I mean, I would, I would really have to wonder if you say, I'm full of joy, but you never laugh. I mean, I, that's one of the reasons I read those jokes to begin with, just to see if you, I graded every one of you, by the way. Where's your joy? Laughter. Laughter's good. Uh, Solomon thought so, because he said, a joyful heart is good medicine. Let's read that line together. A joyful heart is good medicine. Or the old King James says, a merry heart does good like a medicine. And I'll submit to you today that that's not just a spiritual term. He said a broken spirit dries up the bones. I want to submit to you today that there's, there, there's, there's spiritual reasons that a joyful heart is good medicine, but there's physiological reasons. Boy, I said that. I couldn't believe it. Reasons that, that creates in your body. Like this comes from Brother Charles' message. And, uh, 
Children laugh about 400 times a day. I was watching Jackson running around here earlier. I bet he was laughing. He laughed a hundred times in five minutes because he never stopped laughing. This is sad. Adults laugh 15 times a day on average. And some of you don't laugh 15 times. I want to tell you that joy filled laughter truly is a medicine. It truly is a medicine. I read somewhere where one minute of anger weakens the immune system for five hours. This is science. This is not. And the same article said one minute of laughter strengthens the immune system for 24 hours. So what would you rather do? Be angry or laugh? Uh, laughter reduces stress. We know that. When we're laughing, it reduces stress. It, re- it relaxes our muscles. And it relaxes our heart, which is a muscle. And laughter releases endorphins into our body. Find you a way to laugh. Now, I know that most of the Christian comedians out there today are not funny. They're just not. One of my favorite comedians is a guy named Henry Cho. If you get a chance to see Henry Cho or hear his material, it's a completely 100% clean. But I, we were in a room with him one time, and he said, I'm not a Christian comedian. He said, I'm a Christian And I'm a comedian, but I'm actually funny. (laughs) There are people like Henry Cho, Tim Hawkins. There are a few out there that are funny. There's a lot of them that aren't. Find a way to laugh. I mean, okay. Quote Brother Charles, he said, joy is an instant vacation without leaving. Laughter is an instant vacation without leaving. We need to be joyful people. Why? Because that's a characteristic of the kingdom of God. We want to communicate to the world the goodness of God, and they want to know why we've been drinking persimmon juice. Now, if you never ate a persimmon, you don't know what that means, but it'll turn your face inside out. Why do why would I want what you got when evidently what you got makes you sick, makes you sad? Somebody said you can eat spaghetti out of a vase, a one-inch vase, because your face is so long. Something to picture, isn't it? Good Lord, I did go a lot longer than expected. I'm going to close with the, with the last two verses of our passage because I think Paul sums it up. He who serves Christ in this way, what we just got through talking about, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who serves Christ in this way is acceptable and pleasing to God and is approved by men. Both are good. And then he finishes up. So then, 
We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Let's pursue this. Let's say, God, work these things in our lives. Train me to walk in righteousness. Help me to be at peace with you and with my fellow brothers and sisters. And where there's something misaligned, help me to realign. When there's something out of joint, help me to get it back into joint. And let the swelling go away. Help me to be joyful. Give me the joy that comes from these. And give me the ability and the opportunity to laugh. Brother Bob Mumford used to say, when you're preaching, if you can get people to laughing while you're preaching, you can hit them in the mouth and not bust their lip. <laughs> Laugh. And then pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And we can go out into the world again, wherever you work, wherever you do recreation, wherever you go play on the playground, whatever Whatever life, wherever life takes you, stand on the side of a soccer field, we need to bring the kingdom of God and what makes up the kingdom of God with us. And we need to bring that to where we go. And again, in the next few weeks, we'll talk about that some more. Stand with me.